The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Hi everybody, Andrew Gormley, CEO of Classic Flyers here. If you're interested in classic aviation and you want to get up close and personal to old aircraft and see some of New Zealand's aviation history, come across the Classic Flyers, Gene Batten Drive, Mount Monganui, right on the edge of the airport. You can go for flights in old aeroplanes like Boeing Stearmans and Harvards. There's lots to see. Kids' parties happening here all the time. We have functions and function rooms, business meetings, and a great cafe with excellent coffee. If you'd like to be involved with Classic Flyers, we also have the volunteer groups who do all things from helping out with function work or just on the main hangar floor with visitors and guests or birthday parties, right through to engineers who get involved in restoring some of our wonderful old aircraft assets. It's a great place and it's in a good location. Come and have a visit. Check out the website on www.classicflyersnz.com The new series on Aviation Extended, produced in collaboration with the Wings Over New Zealand podcast, is all about RAF Coastal Command in World War II. You say, look, just give me 40. 40 is what I need, which is a tiny amount, really. I, you know, to give you a perspective of just um, how many, in relative terms, how few 40 is, we, the Americans, lose uh, 53 liberators. So just on one raid, we're losing more than actually Jubilee saying, listen, give me these and I can win the Battle of the Atlantic. They really were, I think, the most vital uh, long-range aircraft that Coast Command employed in the Second World read in post-war accounts of the incident, it was hopelessly undergun. And it kind of annoys me because when it entered service and, okay, it only had two, three or three machine guns, but so did the frontline fighters of the RAF at that time. For the Battle of the Atlantic, I didn't think there could be any equivocation about the, the importance of Coastal Command's role. Dial into the series on Aviation Extended. That's aviation-extended.co.uk or go to your podcast player and look us up. Eight episodes, 12 international speakers, 10 hours and lots of aircraft. Strategy, crews, the Battle of the Atlantic, strike wings, the fleet air arm, and, did I say, there's bow fighters as well. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. Uh, today we're looking at the CT4 air trainer and the history of uh, the prototype DGY, ZK DGY. Uh, I've got uh, two guests in front of me. Owen Jones, OJ, Hi. Uh, and Alan Torrenson. Uh, now, you guys both worked on the Air Trainer program right back from the beginning. Yes. Yes. Can you tell me, where, where did you each come into it? Did you start before the Air Trainer was even a, a, a um, concept? Or? Okay, um, I joined uh, Aerine and Services in... 1970, I think it was about August, um, just as a schoolboy wanting to learn to fly and wanted to get some money together, and that's how I started. And uh, so at that stage, the the, the CD4 had started uh, busy building the air tours for the uh, uh, RNZAF. Um, that's where I kind of started, and I started as building, making parts for um, the air tourers, and later on it went into the air trainer and that. But, uh, yeah, and OJ? 
Well, I was there a bit earlier. I started with Aero Engine Services in 1967. Okay. After I came straight out of the Air Force. And I was in the electrical section, which was an overhaul shop then, and we were just starting to assemble Air Tour 115s. And um, so uh, I had a kind of a dual role. There was doing the aircraft wiring as well as doing the overhaul shop for overhauling the magnetos and all the other electrical equipment and stuff like that. So um, we only had... 45 staff when I joined. There would have been quite a few more at the time Alan joined, but uh, yeah, so I uh, was on board from the beginning. Okay. So um, the the Air Tourers, uh, the design came from Australia and had been bought by New Zealand uh, Air Engine Services Limited. Uh, and that, I mean, how did that even come about? What was the situation that that was brought to New Zealand? The uh, Victor Company in Australia were primarily lawnmower manufacturers and still are. Yeah. Their aviation business wasn't going very well, or they built a lot of aeroplanes. They built the, the Air Tour 100, which just had an O200 engine. It was a little underpowered, but it was still fully aerobatic, and a, and a lot of people used it for training, and there were a lot of them in New Zealand. But um, they um, they weren't making a great go of it. It wasn't really their core business. And so Victor wanted, they tried to interest the Australian aero clubs and all that in this trainer a bit more, but uh, they were getting... They were able to buy Pipers and Cessnas cheaper, yeah. and the Australian government wouldn't subsidise it in any way, um, even though export incentives for Piper and Cessna enabled their stuff to go into Australia cheaper. So they couldn't get a government subsidy, so it became unviable, and so um, they put it about that they were wanting to quit. Oh. Okay. Yeah, further to Owens, I can remember you know, when we're making parts and what have you, obviously a lot of infantry come in from Victor in Australia, and uh, I can remember drawing parts out of the store coming out in Victor Motormower bags, and uh, <laughs> it was quite, you know, kind of quite taken by that. So. Yeah. <laughs> but as Owen said, with the Air Tour, um, it was 100 came out, and then Air Engine Services you know, continued. They did a few hundreds, and then the 115 came out with the Lycoming 0235, mm. And um, then eventually worked up to the um, 150 horsepower Air Tourer with the constant speed unit. And um, uh, that was a nice machine, very nice machine. Um, there was in between, there was a, a 130 horsepower um, developed too with the 0240 Continental engine in it as well. Um, but um, the uh, the 150 was the way to go. You know, I'd love to fly in the 150. So, yeah. It was a Lycoming 0320. Yeah. 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 So, so those... Um, those developments with the engine, that was all done in New Zealand, that wasn't done by Victor? No, no, no. no. Yeah. Victor quit at the Air Tour 100 stage. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we, we could kind of claim uh, sort of a, a bit of a lineage there on the Air Tour as well. Um, and then uh, I believe that it was the Royal Australian Air Force were looking for a trainer and that's how somehow the New Zealanders got involved, New Zealand government got involved or something, because we were also going to be looking for a trainer. Is that how... No, it, just the Australians initially. Yes. Okay. Uh, the New Zealand Air Force interest came quite a lot later. Okay. And, yeah. uh, and um, the, um, at the time that Alf Coleman at Aero Engine Service, at the time he purchased the Victor rights, he also obtained the rights for the Victor Air Cruiser, although the aircraft was still in Australia, yeah. and Victor didn't want to relinquish it at that stage. But we obtained the rights to manufacture it. Okay. And and so but subsequently, after later years negotiation, it um, it became available to us. Now there was only one of those built, wasn't there? Yes. That's correct. Yeah. So. And you flew that extensively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Delta Alpha Hotel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So was it? What, what was what was the the leap between just manufacturing air tourers to suddenly wanting to build a military trainer? Uh, who, who who was behind that? Was it the government or? It was the Australian Air Force interest put out a 
requests for proposals and stuff, and they'd been they'd been making noises for a while that they wanted to replace things, and 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 um, the the air tour yeah the, uh, the air tour one fifty came quite close to their spec, uh -huh. but um, but aero engine services or ends. Yeah, aero engine services as it still was then they, they said well we can go one better than that if we can get hold of the air cruiser and and basically use that airframe and beef it up and um give it a jettison or canopy and stuff militarize it yeah that'll be a, a really good contender yeah. because remembering that the new zealand air force had actually got some of the what the air tours prior to that yes that's right and and that tour. may have actually influenced i don't know but it might have influenced the australian government to realize that yeah we can build a, a military trainer yes yeah. yeah yeah that makes sense so and at that stage um with a, a redesign on the on the um cards they brought in pat monk uh from overseas didn't they they brought him in from australia well he was no, actually, he was with Sabre Civil Aviation in New Zealand, oh, but, that's but right. not with Boris. Yeah, they, yeah. they released him to come to us. I've forgotten that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he thought he was only going to be there a wee while because he lived in a caravan on site next to the next to the boardroom for, oh, really? <laughs> for a couple of years until he got his family and the house sorted out. Yeah, well, that, that's how I know him because he lived. He, Right next door to us oh, uh, right. in Cambridge, he was our neighbour, and I, I grew up next door to him. So, oh, right. um, I mean, him and Joyce became sort of like grandparents to yeah. us kids, and it was fantastic. But well, he prior to coming, I didn't know this until later years reading other history. But he worked ex extensively on the uh, joint project at Woomera mm. with, uh, with the rocket programs and that. But he never spoke about that when he was working for us. Right. Okay. Never, I never heard him talk about it. We we would have had him otherwise at the Aeronautical Society giving us a chat. Yeah. But he he might have been hanging on to as a lot of people of that era did. They had they hung on to that official secrets act. That's right. I'm just thinking that. Yeah. Yeah. 16 or 17 when they first joined up and they didn't want to let go of it and some of them still won't let go of it. Oh, that's ridiculous. Uh, I mean, he, he was a really interesting guy. He'd started at Miles during the war uh, as, a, as an apprentice and then I think slightly after the war he'd gone to Slingsby and he was designing gliders. But he ended up in Australia, uh, as you say, with um, the working on the rockets at, at um, Woomera. And then, as you say, he came to civil aviation here and then aerospace. But after his aerospace days, he went back to, uh, he was in the Isle of Man in Britain, and um, he was designing airships. Yes. And uh, he was also doing other contract work for Boeing and for, uh, he, at one stage, he did some contract work for Concorde. He worked on Concorde. And I'm not sure exactly where that came into it. It must have been before he came to New Zealand. But, um, or... No, I don't think it was before he came to New Zealand. No, it can't have been, actually. Concord was later than that. Yeah, he's, but he definitely did work on it. But it, Well, it might have been at the early... He, maybe he was on the TSR2 program or something. Uh, yes, he was. was. Which he, was a forerunner to... Well, he was on that, but he definitely worked on, on something. Oh, okay. Not not in a big way. He was on a, a, a small job on it. But uh, I just remember him mentioning that. He used to tell us stories quite a lot. And, oh, well, that's... You know, it's you fascinating. Had a, you had a big advantage. We didn't hear any of this when we were at work. No, well, that's the thing. no. There'd be a lot of things. You know, I was kind of one of the junior you know, yeah. people at that stage, so uh, yeah. Um, okay, so Pat comes in, and you guys have got the the air cruiser uh, uh, design, and you've got, um, I guess, all the uh, structure to build the air cruiser. And so, uh, Dave, it wasn't that we constructed the air cruiser here. The air cruiser was a complete. Aeroplane. It hadn't yeah, flown yeah, for yeah. some years. Yeah, yeah. So it came over and we did quite a bit of flying, evaluating what it could do because it had the same engine, an IO360 Continental, um, 210 right. horsepower. Yeah. yeah, it was interesting when it came out because when it came out, it sat around for a while. I think there's a little bit of work done on it. But then it, for some reason or other, it's actually leased out to. Um, I think Woody Anger Aero Club or somebody like that, oh, and they flew that for some time. That's true. They um, yes. And uh, that, that was there for some some time before it came back, and then okay. it came back when the the development of the air trainer was really starting that as well. Okay. But okay. but when the city when the air cruiser arrived, the, air, the aircraft arrived, then uh, a little while later, there's some containers 
arrived and um, as a young fellow that was one of my jobs to go through and unpack and I think Pat Bunk was making a decision about what tooling would be used um, for the CT4 yeah. as a, you know, what could be modified and that's so, yeah. yeah, what had to be redesigned. That's right, yes, yes, yes. So, so there's a certain amount of DNA from the air cruiser and then there's new build, new design um, that, that have gone into it. It's, it's yes, a half right. and half. Yes. So it's kind of a, it's an Australasian design really rather than a New Zealand or an Australian design. Uh, it's the like the New Zealand Pavlova. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, how long was the process of uh, designing and working out which bits can be be used that are already been designed and what had to be done? I mean, was this a matter of years or months? Not. Um, well, when it first flew, DGY first flew in in April nineteen seventy two. February. Oh, okay. February so David Yendel's wrong in this. Yeah, well, it's it's a, it, was a, it was his fiftieth birthday just this week, and that. Um, yeah, I know you saw that, yeah. and I read this with David Rental. He must, he's got it mentioned twice in here. He must have been wrong about that. Yeah. So, you know, it must the air cruiser must have only come over about a year or eighteen months before then. It was pretty, yeah, pretty fast right. moving program. I think the air it cruiser arrived. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure it would have arrived in the uh, late 1970. Um, and then 19. maybe 71, perhaps, and then, yeah. but then as I said, it sat around for a while, then it went out to mm. the evaluate, and then it came back when everything started on the air trainer. Okay. The, the design effort for that CT4 was pretty intense. They worked uh, pretty, because they wanted to get in time to get their bid in for this Australian contract. And, right. then, and it, as it turned out, the Australian aircraft weren't the first ones built. Was the Royal Thai Air Force said, "Oh, this looks like something good. Aussies are buying some. We'll buy some," and we actually did their ones first. Okay, all oh, right. I didn't realise that. Yeah. Huh. So, um, so at that stage, obviously, it had been a proven design, and the Australians had selected it, had they, or or were they still thinking about it when the Thais got in? I, I can't No, they'd already given the order. Yeah, yeah I think that's all. Yeah, yeah. It was more like the Thai Air Force, that gave them confidence probably. Oh, right. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, how many people were on the design team? Uh, well, that's a hard one to answer because... At the, um, I don't know how many were working behind the scenes, but you know, obviously, you know, Pat Monk was leading. I think you had um, uh, Murray McGregor, uh, and two. then you had the te technical, like Normie staff, and those people came That's on right. board. Um, technical writers, there yeah, were a couple yeah, of technical writers, yeah. and uh, other probably a half a dozen or more. Yeah, probably yeah. six or so that would have yeah. been pretty well full time on that CT4. Right. We think. Right. I think one of them was Rex Mason, was it? Yes, yeah, yeah Rex yeah. was, that's right, yeah. Um, yes. And so each of them, would they have been given a different task on the aircraft? One doing wings, one doing fuselage? Or I would assume that, that it was the structure that, you know, that Pat would have probably worked yeah, on. To, yeah, Pat, yeah. Pat would have farmed it all out. Yeah. I mean, he was yeah. very hands-on and he did a lot himself yeah. still. He spent a lot of time still on the on the drafting boards himself. Yeah. There's no, there was no CAD cam or anything. No, 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 no. it was all old school. Yeah, yeah. all yeah. old school on the vellum. And <laughs> I can, I can remember the plan printing process with the strong ammonia fumes coming out yeah. of the uh, plan printer. Yeah, <laughs> gosh, yeah, I've forgotten. Yeah. They did one of those as yeah, well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, how did it work? Where um, once the design is done and you start building a prototype. Uh, is it everyone just sort of the whole lot of you mucked in, or was there just a team pulled off the air tours, or how did that work? With the with the components, I think the CT4 components were phased in at that stage, um, um, whilst you know, there's still air tour product going through, and it was just basically by part number and by uh, job sheet you could you know, define what was what. Okay. Um, the coordination that I think. Um, Likes of Jim Fisher, I think, was kind of um, as far as the uh, what was for what and scheduling what went to the floor. Is the uh, yeah, I'm thinking it was Don Ellis still there? 
from Victor. We had a guy, Don Ellis, who came across from Victor and was with us for a couple of years. Yeah. Maybe you don't remember him? No, no. But I remember uh, Jim, Jim Fisher was always um, yeah. uh, um, had multitudes of job sheets and he would prioritise what went out to the floor and that okay. sort of thing. So. Yeah. The actual building of DGY as a topic would have only involved four or five people just doing mm. stuff, mm. bits and pieces yeah. on a daily basis, right. and others feeding them with yeah. parts, as he says. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, and do you remember the test flight? Do you, did you guys watch it? The first one, yeah, when he when he went out, we didn't we saw him taxi out, you know, um, but I didn't actually. I don't recall whether we. No. Yeah, as as on the day when they went out, they, um, um, yeah, there was quite obviously quite a number of people there, but I, yeah, we we it had obviously happened away from the airfield. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one thing that I remember Pat telling me about, uh, and I have seen a photograph of this somewhere, um, before it first flew. He wanted to check out some aerodynamics, I think it was, and so they tethered it behind uh, a Bristol freighter. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking about that the other day. Yeah, yeah. And cranked up the engines on the freighter to, no, to give the airflow. It was actually the no, canopy. That was for the can canopy. That was to oh, prove yes, the canopy. Right. Yes, yeah. Yeah. And there is some film of that on YouTube or something. Is there really? Someone, someone's put some up somewhere. I've seen it. Wow. Okay, um, I'll yeah. have to look through it. Yeah, it's, it's, it was very brief, and it was just black and white. But yeah, they put a big. They put a big cargo net behind to catch the to canopy. catch the canopy, and the first time they revved up the old Bristol freighter, the cargo net blew down. So there was a half hour delay while they had to be rejigged. <laughs> That's right. yeah. yeah, and then they somebody was somebody was sitting in the in the trainer, and um, it was Pat in the in the aircraft, I think. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. In the, in the yeah. photo I've seen, it was they, Pat. They did us and it and it worked fine. Oh, yeah. yeah, but and that they captured it on slow. High speed camera, right? Yeah. So that they can look at it. So that's one of the big differences uh, in the aircraft, if you're looking at it from a distance, is the canopy. Uh, you know, if you look at an air tour, it's got a sliding canopy. And, um, with the air trainer, it, yeah. it, um, it, it uh, hinges. Um, so that is one of the, the, the big differences, of course. But um, outwardly, they look very similar, but when you put the two together, there's a lot of difference in, in the two aircraft. And uh, what about when the air cruiser was sitting next to an air trainer? Was there? I mean, obviously the the air cruiser was a four seater and it had a different cockpit. Arrangement. Yeah, yeah, it was actually a fully enclosed cabin like a Piper, you know, on the, on the air cruiser. Um, and um, the air cruiser had a control column like a Piper, not not a joystick like the C4. Yes, yeah, but yeah, externally yeah. the profile was pretty well the yeah, same. Yeah. Right? yeah. I believe that structurally um, it had to be beefed up a lot for military um, yes. military use for aerobatics and that sort of thing. Yes. Was, the, was the air cruiser an aerobatic aircraft? Um, officially, I don't think it was produced as one, but I have heard tales about people aerobatting the air cruiser okay. from Wittyanga, and it was with the Aero Club. Okay. Uh, which, I don't want to know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, the, the air, air cruiser was a very solid aircraft, all the same, that was well built, but yeah. yes. Um, it wasn't designed to be a, uh, an aerobatic aircraft uh, initially. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, that, that's one of the things that um, I always point out to the Australians when they say, well, it's the same same aircraft. Well, no, I mean, they really did have to redesign the structure yeah. uh, to make it up to military grade. So um, there were other um, ideas that never really got taken up, like tip tanks on the wings and uh, and also hard points. So I remember seeing Pat Monk had drawings of it for, with hard points for rockets. Yes. There, there was actually um, a set up with, with, with tip tanks and um, hard points with rockets, but I my understanding is that um, at, uh, when they went to spin it, they had some exciting moments, I believe, oh, yeah. with the... Uh, with the um, with the tip tanks on. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So they were never seen again, other than mm. that brochure. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. 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 The it brochure that says we can provide yeah. tip tanks. It did look impressive, though. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so, how long was it between the initial test flight and uh, production? Did it take a while for the for the ties and the and the um, Australians to select it and purchase? Was that a while? I mean, it's 1972 it first flew. 
don't think it was 1973 that New, that New Zealand Aerospace Industries was formed out of a in ASL yeah. ASL and their parts. Yeah. So 1973 we formed, yeah. built the new hangar, and and so forth. And it, it, it happened straight away after that, really. So okay. the, the Thai yeah. aircraft would have been under construction in, yes, yes, I in 1970, yeah. so late 73, probably. Or right, okay. okay. It's actually, I mean, that's a quick process for a military aircraft, isn't it? It was, yeah. yeah. I, I think there'd been a lot of planning, but, but you yeah, know, just a slow, a slow build up to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the technology, as far as like the machining and the routing and all that, was all the same as what the Etura was. It was just different size tooling. Yeah, yeah. There were some things that we couldn't do in house, and it had to be subcontracted out. And a lot, some of it was still done in Australia. Rubber pressing was still done in Australia initially, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, for a while. Somebody. Yeah. We had a lot of problems with that over the years, getting people to, to rubber press the. This is the fluted skins for the for the feathers. Oh right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Stuff like that. So the once the production started, did the team build up? Was there a much? Was there a lot more people brought in? Yeah, there were quite a few more. Yeah, um, but both one with the amalgamation from air parts, and then they ran the two two lines. Um, um, and there's a lot of um, a lot of people actually brought in from um, in the UK because um, Aerian and Server, oh, sorry, New Zealand Aerospace actually brought. A number of sections in Cambridge, I believe, they actually brought a subdivision, or and they were actually helping people get into them to attract employees from overseas. Wow. Yeah. Right. That subdivision, when you go into Cambridge from the Kaipaki Road, yep. you go over the crest of the hill past the road to the dump, yep. and you, you dip down yeah, towards yeah. the high-level bridge. Well, that subdivision was that area down on the flat there's a bit of a stepped flat down yes. there yep. that yep. area there was ah, right. was, uh, was uh, quite a big exercise in helping get get these ponds established um, from England that's fascinating that's yeah. I, I had never heard that before yeah. so. no no I remember that yeah. that's actually uh, something that companies used to do back in the I don't know 17 and 1800s and in Britain was they'd set up the village for the workers sort of thing and it's yeah. I've never heard that in New Zealand so that's interesting Apart from you know railways and yeah. uh, you know. I don't know whether I don't know that, that anything was subsidised, but it was enabled. It was. Oh, a kind I of thought a, they were trying to. Uh, as I, mean, I think I even inquired as an employee years ago, and oh, I, th yes. I think there was. They were trying to um, work it so, um, you know, some finance packages and finance deals and that to help people you know, right. get in. Right. So but but as you said, it was it was almost like. You'd, you'd hook, the, hook the employees in and you had them there because that's their, their home and, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. interesting. Uh, so, um, when the production started ramping up, um, I guess you must have felt it was, you know, you've got two different countries have bought uh, contracts and, and then the New Zealand starts looking at it. You must think it's going to be quite a big um, production run. Or was it always sort of, sort of hit and miss, and wondering where the next? No, I, it, for for the air trainer initially it was pretty well full on. Yeah, One yeah. contract followed the other. Alf Coleman did a marvelous marketing job, and um, yeah. yeah, and some other air forces came really close, really close to to signing up, but but that didn't quite. Right. Even Argentina was interested in one stage, and they were interested in Fletcher's as well. But okay. some, that something fell over there. Okay. Um, well, There's obviously the Brico, the Brico Trading the Company. Brico Trading Company, but they were in a sense Santa Rodesia. Yeah, we had 12, 12 I think it was, twelve or thirteen. Right, and, right. Um, that was an interesting exercise on its own. But getting, I was. Getting back to DGY, if you want to talk about DGY, sure, yeah, yeah. there's just a few things. Um, now, was it DGY that had the um, tail parachute installed for spinning trials? Yes, I think it was. Yes, yes, yes yeah, that's right. So that was quite exciting to watch when that was done. Okay. And that was done over over the other side of the Waikato River from from our plant, so it was in the sort of Tamahiri area, but quite close so that we could see. And we all are out there and they started and we all were counting the, the turns. So the spinning trial, yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. And some of the women from the office were saying, he's not gonna make it. 
And it's not going to make it. I can't. It's not going to make it. 21, 22 turns we got up to. Wow. Then he pulled out. That was deliberate to see if it would. Yeah. yeah. 22 turns. And it, was, was, it was quite a long thing to watch. Yeah, I'm bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was interesting. I was going to mention something a little technical, just a little bit. Um, the CT4, uh, because it was a military aircraft, as were the later air tours that were built for the Royal New Zealand Air Force, and some of them also went to Singapore and um, Bangladesh, well, there were a few clusters of them. Yeah. We we made them into twenty-four volt machines, so so that they would fit in with military things. And, okay. Um, that elect electrically that has a an advantage, which Pat Munt was interested as well. That that has an advantage in that once you double the voltage, you halve the current for whatever you're doing, and so your wiring is only half the size. So you only have to have. Half the size of electrical wiring, so there's right. a weight saving, yeah, yeah, things yeah. like that, okay. um, and also avionic equipment and stuff, particularly on the military side, was um, not manufactured in 12 volt versions and all that. So, right. like the CT4 that we did for the RNZAF had a lot of stuff in it, and it was it had a lot of navigation equipment and stuff. and uh, remote reading compass system and all stuff that much larger aircraft had so it was a very very good trainer it could train them on a lot of instrumentation stuff yeah yep. as well as the ab initio flying yes yep. so um the the Thai and the initial rwaf contracts were the cd4a and the rnzf got the cd4b and that breco contract that you talked about uh which got stopped because it was a, a scam. Uh, those aircraft were bees as well, I think. And they, they ended up going to Australia. They, they did, yeah. I, I think, I thought they, I could be wrong, but I thought they were actually maybe a CD4A, but when they when they did go to Australia, they had to be reconfigured, and whether yes. it was actually to bring them to the B spec, I'm not 100% okay. certain. I can't remember the difference between yeah. the A and the B yeah. spec. Yeah. What was the difference between the A and the B spec? Um, was it primarily an airframe thing, or was it engine? Um, no, the engines were the, the, the IA360 Continental, so... Um, um, we might have had an IA360D in the beginning, then we went to an IA360H. That's, that could have been it, yeah, perhaps. That might but, have um, been part of yeah, it. yeah. Um, the, the ones that had been built for Odisha through the Swiss Breco Trader Company, they had hard points installed mm -hmm. and they had wiring put in for the right. hard points in case right. they wanted to weaponize it. Um, but when, um, when they were reworked to go to Australia, they, they, that was disestablished. They didn't want, the, they didn't want to do, do any basic weapons training. Okay. So they were. They had quite a bit of um, internal rework to, to put them into the Australian specification. And that was all done at the factory before. Yes. They yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. They'd been in storage in in crates for what three or four years. Yeah, they they've been sitting quite, quite a long time. Yeah. Okay. Before they yeah. before it was sorted out as to who really owned them. Right. And uh, yeah, because it was basically a government embargo that prevented them. Being yeah. Um, yeah. It's actually kind of a shame. It would have been interesting to see how that go in, in combat. Yeah, yeah, true. yeah. <laughs> but they probably wouldn't have been that great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they're, they're, they're a mighty airplane to fly, and yeah. uh, yeah, very, very responsive. So, yeah. So when you when you look at the CT4, you look at these these cockpit features here. You can see it's very much a a side by side military type arrangement mm -hmm. uh, and, and down here we you've got all the electrical switches and circuit breaker panels yes they were they were a, a, they were like that in the air cruiser but they were a sort of a permanent fixture but for the military purposes we made them as quick removable units okay. so all of the um, switches and circuit breakers the wiring from them went out to what what is commonly called cannon plugs, multi-pin electrical plugs on the back, um, so that you can, so that if you have a problem and you have to change some switches or do some modifications, um, you don't have to spend half a day upside down 
which I've done on Cessnas and Pipers, upside down, <laughs> with a trying to work out where the hell, yeah. and it's all one big long buzz bar, yeah. and you can't get the circuit breaker out without undoing that one and this one. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. so those were modular, take the whole thing out, do it, do, it, do it on the bench, put it back in. And they had some spares, so that you could take one, and you, you didn't have any downtime if you were... Had yeah. a sortie of aircraft and they were, had a problem with some switches or something. It was pretty rare to have an electrical Yeah, it is. Yes. But, yeah. but um, the provision was there to make those quickly detachable. Yeah. Um, yeah. One thing um, that stands out about DGY is it's a three seater. They had a, an extra seat in the back. And I don't think any of the others got the third seat, did they? Yes, one one customer. Yes, did. yeah. Um, well, there were a couple of odd CT4s went off. The, the Thai, the King of Thailand had one, and yeah. somebody else. Oh, yeah. Thai yeah. police, I think. Yeah, there yeah. were a couple no, of um, right. yeah. odds and sides, okay. and they, yeah. they had that. Oh, right. Okay, oh. I didn't realise that. Interesting. Oh, yeah. uh, you, you had you know, restrictions, though, obviously. You know, with a, th a third person in the back on, you know, like aerobatics or what have you. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, once the production was completed for Thailand, Australia and New Zealand, I think it was, it got to 96 aircraft built and I remember reading in several places that the, the aim was to get to 100 and it didn't quite happen. And um, the production lines shut down, and it shut down for a long time. It was it was closed for. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's ninety six. Um, yeah. I, I I wrote that figure down so many times over the years, but it's just, <laughs> as time transpires, um, yeah. Um, but um, you yeah, know, it was shut down for some time. There was still spears support. Um, yes. yep. um, one of my later roles, I was involved in the spears support for the CD fours in Thailand and the RAAF and the RNZAF, and. Um, yeah, no, that, that continued. So uh, the, the tooling was still aware and available. Um, um, and then later on, um, they ended up um, you know, merging into the uh, civil version, the CD4B for the BAE set Flying Training College in Tamworth. Yeah. Right, right. Um, the the RNZF in 1981... Um, started using the CD4 for the first time as a, uh, a red checker display team. And that must have been pretty um, good for the company. It must have been quite proud to have your aircraft as the number one I, I would team. say that, yeah, I think you know, all the staff probably been very impressed to actually see the, the their aircraft that they'd built out there in such a team year because the red checkers certainly had a name for themselves. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Plus, it also brought back the team because they'd, they'd stopped in 1974 because of the oil crisis and yeah. there hadn't been a team until 81. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah no. Um, with the the service in the RNZF, the C4B went through to mid-90s, I think it was, and then they upgraded to the E. But in between, there was a bit of yeah. development. So do you want to talk about the development? Um, from what I can, I can contribute, I guess... Uh, they they'd been working on the uh, with the CD four E. There was uh, you know the thought about putting the larger engine, which was the um, uh, IO five forty Lycoming, uh, three hundred horsepower. And um, I happened to be involved with um, dealing with the uh, RWF at the time on spares and bits and pieces, and um, got wind and the opportunity of being able to purchase an airframe from them. Um, for the development of the CD4E, and uh, uh, that all came about. And um, you know, from recollection, it's an exceptionally good price. I don't think anyone can believe what we got it for, but it's a completely airframe-less engine, and uh, that was kind of the starting point for the prototype for the CD4E. And uh, and then there's the CD4C, which is the turboprop, which unfortunately they only built one of them um, with the um, the Allison engine. Um, but uh, that there was um, uh, built after the opportunity of getting the uh, damaged RNZAF aircraft airframe and using that for that purpose. That's right. NZ 1940 had, had an accident that had gone back to be repaired. Yes. And you guys... During the repair process, they got lost their way and put it to Allison <laughs> T-52. <Yeah. laughs> the CT4E... 
was the 540, wasn't it? That's right, yes, that's yeah. correct. Yeah. Now, that came about because we there was an opportunity to sell a large number of them to the United States Air Force or part of that, part of the United States Air Force as an ab initio trainer somewhere. Yeah. But they, they were going to be operating in... Um, Nevada, I think it was. Yeah, it was it um, up in the mountains there? Um, yeah, um, yeah, that was for the EFS trainer base, and um, they uh, they've been tendering or looking at a number of aircraft worldwide, and uh, one of the contenders was the Slingsby. You know, yeah, um, Slingsby and uh, yeah, and I think yeah. and we thought well, yeah, we, we could run rings that. around that. But <laughs> we didn't enter the contest until a very late stage, and mm -hmm. we only had a few months really, to get our bid yeah. in, get the aeroplane over there as a demonstrator. Mm. And unfortunately, we didn't quite make the grade because it was, it was only that prototype, really, that we had. And there were things unforeseen, I think. Was it John Muir that took it over? John Muir, he yeah. flew it over in the States right, to, yeah. yeah. But it, it was a um, different environment to what we were used to and... Um, yeah, and like he was probably on his own, or somebody must have gone with him. I can't remember. Yeah, there was somebody. I can't. Would have been a marketing it. person or yeah. somebody with him. But um, I think one of the the quite things... narrowly missed it. It got yeah, it highly commended, but it didn't quite get the contract. Otherwise, I, I've actually heard that the the US Air Force wanted the air trainer, but it was politics that stopped it. That's that's it? what I, I because of the Andrews thing and all yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And I think the other thing too is there may have been some incentives offered to than by other aircraft manufacturers that yeah. our company probably wasn't in a position to do so. Yeah. The British were, they were very slimy. They'd go yeah. under the counter and yeah. do all sorts of mm. crap, you know, the old colonial stuff, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they, they, they'd always tried to shaft the competitor. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, exactly. And, of course, the, I don't think the Swingsby actually turned out to be the ideal aircraft no, for me that no, didn't no, stay no. in service very no, long that's right. or anything. So yeah. it's, a, it's a shame they didn't get the air trainer. That's right, air trainer, trainer. yeah. yeah. Um, but that, uh, the, the other thing about the E is it had the glass cockpit, didn't it? No, no, not not initially. No, oh, initially okay. it was the same cockpit as the um, as uh, the normal CD4. And, okay. Uh, like EUN, um, I think they didn't move to a glass cockpit till much later and later development. I think I, I'd actually left. Uh, the company at that stage, but uh, right. um, no, originally they were all basically that uh, okay. sort of panel. Yep. Yeah. Um, do you know how many have actually been produced now with the E? And <laughs> they even went on to the F. Maybe that was the glass cockpit one, was the F? Um, possibly, yeah. um, I don't know. I, I don't can't know. tell you the number of these. Sorry, uh, yeah, we at least track. Yeah, well, yeah, it we must least, be available yeah. through, electronically through yeah. the New Zealand Register or yeah. something. Well, yeah. because they all Wings get, of New Zealand Forum. They yeah. All, <laughs> yeah, they all get they all get civil registrations initially for their test flying purposes yeah. and all that, yeah. and and uh, before they become they don't sort of. Straight right, the yeah. they, they were only on hire to the military anyway, weren't they? Brian here was only hiring. The later, the later ones, yeah. The, 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 the ease, the yeah, ease. That's right, yeah. Right. yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a lease, some sort of lease. Yeah, so, um, with the going back to the earlier ones, uh, the ones that went to Australia and to Thailand and to Singapore, um, was it company pilots that were ferrying them across to those countries, or was were there air forces coming? And picking them up? Uh, it was basically like Cliff Tater did a lot of the ferries originally, and then um, later on, uh, uh, was it Red Shand did done? Was it yeah, Red, Red Shand did some, I think. Yeah. Um, um, and I think Ian Ritchie did a couple. Yeah, but, and, but, but there were there was one Australian military pilot, I think, that did a couple. Okay. Okay. Um, and then later on with the civil, uh, the CD4Bs for um, Australia, um, you had um, Peter Palou, uh, right. yeah, and uh, Calvin Stark, and there's another one, I um, can't recall his name, but there were three of them, they're kind of a group that would go together. So. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So, so um, those civil ones, they were new builds that were to add on to ones that gotten from the 
Oh, okay. no, that was just was brand, new, brand new. Brand new. Just like, to set up a new like for Antif, of course. Because yeah. no, I was thinking of, uh, was it BAE that got the RWF ones and later on the contract? Yeah, 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 that's yeah. right. So yeah. I was getting confused about mm, that. Yeah. Yeah, I visited BAE in Australia once. They they had them and um, very impressive setup, and they actually developed um, a flight simulator which was very impressive for the CD4. And you know, had a play on it while I was there, going through the facility, and yeah, it felt really really good. It's just um, um, uh, for the the students first starting out for familiarisation for switches and, and everything you know I mean it was, it was very impressive so yeah. and uh, they, they seem to love the uh, CD4s the, the engineering staff yeah, so, yeah. Um, something that's interesting DGY in these photos in the brochure it's in pretty much the colours that it went into the RNZF with so were, were these photos taken at the time they were trying to sell to the RNZF or uh, was that a was that a company scheme that the Air Force adopted? I can recall from my time in the paint shop, we had a lot of international orange things. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think that was just a company thing initially to make it look reasonably military and make, then make it look like the Harpers. Yeah, 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 and yes, also yeah. it was demonstrated at the Paris Air Show and other places. That's true. Yes, so yes, we wanted, yes, that's we right. wanted something yep, to that's stand true. I forgot about that. Right. And purposeful looking. Yes, yeah. You know, not just. Nice cheap lines that you yeah. get on a Cessna or something. No. Yeah. Who, who took it up to Paris? Was that John Muir as well? No, I think no. Cliff, Cliff Tate did. Oh, I think okay. it might have been Cliff. The little DGY has been around the world a few times then. Oh, it's done, done a few miles, all right. Yeah. Now, the reason I put um, Ken Weber's name on there is when you, if you get a chance to talk to John Muir, Ken I'll Weber, yeah. yeah um, and Ralph Etheridge. Ralph Etheridge was doing some sort of round the South Island demo tour and Ken Weber went with him as the engineer and they had an engine fire in DGY and they and um, it burnt quite a bit of the ignition harness leads behind the mags and they they had to dead stick it into um, into a race course down on the South Island. Mm -hmm. I don't recall that. You don't recall no, that. No, I don't well, that. That's no. something to ask Ken Weber about, yeah, yeah. or Ralph Etheridge, if you can get to him. I've yeah, done yeah. It. I don't know how to contact him. I've got, I've, I've got uh, John's contact and Ken Weber. I've got a, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. When, when DGY got done up to go to the States, uh, I it remember... It didn't go to the States, DGY? Uh, DGY no. did. Did it? Yeah. 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 Um, that... Oh, let me think, let me think. Yeah, DGY because if I'm if I'm not mistaken, DGY was sold to the Warbirds, and the deal was done with the Warbirds about getting the aircraft back again. Yeah, that's what's going to happen. But they, they would they reconfigured it, used it for the initial EFS program, and then. They got it back, and then the Warbirds got a new engine out of it. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Sorry, that's right. Dave, yeah. I haven't, I haven't, I'm not aware of the recent history. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's I only know old stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just wrapping a few brain cells and things come back. That, yeah. that is exactly what I was going to ask: is how how long did the company keep it before it went to Warbirds? And I, I knew that they'd got it back from Warbirds for that uh, that trial. It'd be quite some months, you know, because um, I remember seeing some of the guys come down from the Warbirds and, you know, they have a meeting, have a look at the aircraft, see what's happening with them. That, okay. um, it, 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 it might have almost been, I could be mistaken, but almost the better part of, you know, like nine months to a year even. You know, it, was, it, was, it was quite a long time, I think, from memory. I, I, I could be mistaken, but uh, but I do recall that happening, you know, where that, that, that went over for the... The development, yeah. Okay, so when um, when the air trainer went into production, did the air cruisers stay with the company? Because I've seen so many photos of it, and every one of them are in different colour schemes. But yeah. It's all, always got a ZK register, yeah. so yeah. it must have moved around a bit. Or? Originally, when it came to New Zealand, I think it had a, a white scheme with I think it might have blue stripes on it, something like that. Um, and that was so it looked like a bit like a Piper Cherokee or something yep. like that sort of thing. And that's when Woody Anger was using it went to that colour. And then it it came back to um, uh, to the company for you know that they pulled it apart and did their bits and pieces and put it back together again. And then 
we seem to have an abundance of RWEF yellow. Uh, no, but, no, but we had well, we had a we had a competition. Oh, oh hold on, sorry, it was a pink at one stage. It was pink. Yeah, that's right. Sorry, yes, it was pink too. Yes, I forgot <laughs> yeah. about that. Yeah, you called it yucky dark. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Actually, I think yeah. it, I think it might have been pink initially, was it? Was yeah, it pink initially, and then it went to the blue, and then it went to the yellow with the I think yellow with the green stripes on it. Um, yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. But did it just stay with the company at all that time? Um, yes, I, I, I did, yeah. Um, what was it used for, like a hack, or did you well, have an aero well, club well, or something? Or? Well, well the, we, the flying club actually had um, use of it um, as required from the company. Um, that was our internal flying club. Yeah, and then the, the company had put it out on lease to other clubs that, you know, on the odd occasion. Yeah. As I said, Inger, I'm sure Woody Inger had it for some time, and... I'm not even sure whether Auckland Aero Club may have had it or not. I can remember either yourself or, or might have been Asmuth. Uh, somebody grabbed me one Friday afternoon at the end of the day and said, "Oh, Owen, come for a ride in the air cruiser." Uh, oh, what for? I, I need I need to fill it up. I need. Oh, that might have been me and Az when I, I did a, a full load check. Yeah, yeah, full yeah, load yeah, check. yeah, yeah. That's right. Came yeah. down to a somebody local strip in Tiawamutu. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Cross grass strip. Yeah, yeah. We, and we landed there, and, and then he said, "Oh, are we going to get off again?" <laughs> but we, we made it all right. But yeah, you didn't was, have to get out yeah, and walk. You and Asma. <laughs> yeah. I, I recall also that DAH, the air cruiser, I think when Robert Cook was flying it, didn't it have a near miss at, at um, Dairy Flat when either somebody landed almost on top of it, or it landed almost on top of someone else. Oh, I don't it was an incident that report. No, Robert Cook was yeah, fine. Yeah. Do, do you know when it went off to Aussie? Um, around around. Sonny Rankin bought it, who was the, yeah. I think the, the president or chairman of the Air Tour Association over there. And he, he, he's the guy who got it. Um, I've got an idea. It went over to Australia. I am not in late seventies because I moved to Australia in nineteen eighty, and I've got an idea. I saw it over there in that period, so it might have been the late seventies. Okay. So, so it would have been a good, probably in New Zealand for about a decade. I'd say. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So you got to fly the the air cruiser. You got to fly the air trainer. Yep. And you yeah. flew the air tourer as well. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And the the air as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, did you have a favourite? Which was the nicest to fly? Uh, I guess it's like people getting cars and going up bigger in engine size. I like the E because the, the, the CT4, um, I actually did a presentation to the, the pilots of the Royal Thai Air Force at some base in Thailand. And you know, they said, what's it like to fly? And um, you know, I, I, my, my feeling, and it still is the same, is where there's certain aircraft you get in and you, you, you get in and you fly them. You know, the CT4, it became a part of it. It's like an extension of your body, right. and that's what it, how it felt to me, and uh, that's why I love the CT4 so much. Um, the, 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 I love the DGY. It was a great aeroplane, but EUN, the, the, the E was so much better because you basically point the nose up and it went. You know, right. um, yeah, just that extra horsepower is yeah. you know, a really nice aeroplane. But, no, as I said, they're... They, for people who've flown them and, and flown your general Cessnas and Pipers, there's probably no comparison as the feel you get. And as I said, it, it just feels like an extension of your, your body. Yeah. Yeah. So. But whereabouts is EUN now? Is it still around? Um, I, I, I'm not sure whether EUN still actually was re-registered um, um, and and it may be a part of Pacific Aerospace still. Um, okay. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm not sure. Um, but with the demise of the original PAC, I'm not sure what happened to the assets and that. Yeah. But I know, um, I believe Brian here still has a number of E's yes. sitting in his hangar uh, in maybe, Hawks Bay. Maybe, yeah, Hawks Bay, yeah. 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 yeah, a few of them have sold recently and gone to Aussie. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's still some there. Yeah. But... Um, it's actually, it's really quite cool that the prototype of our first New Zealand designed and built uh, military aircraft is actually still flying. It only flew yesterday, actually, yeah. I read on Facebook. Yeah. Um, 
and it's it's pub, it's publicly available to see, like at Warbirds at Arbor, you can go along and have yeah. a look at it. I mean, there's not many prototypes that are still flying no, that's 50 true. years later of that's any true. sort. So yeah, that's, right. that's, that's pretty neat. Yeah. No, yeah, it's it's it's, it's an amazing aeroplane. Um, the Air Cruiser was a, a pretty awesome aeroplane, basically because it would cruise along so quickly, uh, you know, but it had a very high sink rate on approach. Uh, you know, it's, it's quite a heavy aeroplane, but... Um, um, the the but uh, you know I guess I feel quite privileged to have actually flown that prototype you know because there's, there's only one CD you know, CD two in the world and yes. um, and the and DGY yeah and I guess the prototype EUN as well so yeah. was there ever a CT three design. No, no, no. I, I, not that I'm aware. I don't know. I don't know why it went CT four. To be honest, I don't know where the name actually came from. Um, yeah, the. Because the the air tours were designated, I think, um, it's eighty two and eighty eighty five. I think you know, there was a designation given to them, but uh, um, that was done retrospectively to fit in with the New Zealand aerospace sort of uh, family. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We talk. <coughs> we talk about a an, an air tour. T3, was it? And T3 was the 130 horsepower, that's right. Yeah. Horsepower, yeah. And the T6 was the ones there, and so they've had. Yeah, so those were actually 160 horsepower, the T6s, yeah, yeah. We didn't, I don't think we actually did the initial prototype of the 130 horsepower conversion. Did we buy that from somebody in the UK or something, or got licensed to do it or something? Um, I, I don't think we did. Don't, I don't know, because I know there was a 130 in the, in the UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's quite a following of the air tours over there even now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, club yeah. And... Well, the air tour is an amazing airplane to fly too, like the air trainer, and very responsive. But um, with with the hundred, because I can remember the Waikato Aero Club had the hundred horsepower, and then the one one five, and they got the one fifty DVD. And um, yeah, I, you know, like the hundreds were great to fly once you're up there, but it's just getting yeah, up there yeah. a while. <laughs> Yeah, so and the one one five, I um, it was I flew solo in uh, CXU, which was another famous aeroplane, Cliff Tate's one. So, yes, yeah, yeah. So yeah, what can you tell me more about the CD four C? Did you ever get to fly in that? No, no, no. Um, on the CD four C, I can't. I, I, it, I'd you know seen it perform from the ground, an amazing aeroplane. Um, It'd be best probably to you know, it's talk. the one with the Allison. Yeah, the Allison. Yeah. yeah the, uh, what we can tell you is they did have to um, they did have to move the wing forward uh, yeah. quite a bit. If we'll see it, yeah. But uh, but John Muir and Ralph Etheridge were the ones really to talk to about yeah. that. Uh, they give you, you know, sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was sad to see the turbine not continue in many ways, but. Um, um, you know, the way the world's gone now, and everyone's in, like, you know, where you got the. Uh, Beach turbines and yeah. the Tucanos and that sort of thing as train aircraft. It was yeah, it was actually was before its time. Right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, it was a really impressive aircraft to watch. I saw it at the nineteen ninety one air show at Hamilton, yeah. and the CD four Bs of the Air Force were there going trying to get ready to loop. But that yeah, thing was yeah, just yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, ninety one, ninety one. You said eight, yeah, yeah. No, no, just uh, because uh, we did a, a display. At one of the air shows at Hamilton, um, there's myself, Cliff Tate, Liz Gaston, and uh, I, I'm just trying to think who the other one was. And uh, we had um, we had the 150 air tour, we had DGY, we had the air cruiser, and um, I'm just trying to think what the other there, there's another uh, air tour in there. Um, Ben Stimson from, I don't know if he came across, he used to be a CFI, I think, from New Plymouth, they had a 150, and so it was basically um, a formation of all those aircraft at that air show. Oh, right. yeah. Okay. Oh, cool. Yeah. Excellent. Actually, actually sorry, the squadron leader Jim Barclay, you remember him? Yes. Yeah, yeah, he was in one of the formations with the four airplanes too. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, sorry, a different one. That was the last aircraft to the uh, RNZAF, the, um, the, the first, the 150 air tour and DGY, the be the prototype, and the air cruiser. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Yeah.
Okay, well, the Air Cruiser must have been still here in the, in the 90s then, if you had the... No, this, that there, I think, was... Oh, that would have been the last C4B. Yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah, that would be, yeah, yeah, it was CD4B, yeah, gotcha. that's right, for the RNZF, yeah, 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 gotcha. yeah, yeah, so, okay, yeah, I think in Cliff Tate's books, he, he shows that picture, one of the later, one, under, yeah, <coughs> are, are there any other memories of uh, either um, building or flying these aircraft, or anything that comes to mind, any stories? I, I, I can just think of the, there's great camaraderie as far as the, the guys working on the aircraft. Um, I was a little bit remote for a stage there because I moved into the Eurocrown Blake division for a, quite a period, and uh, but we're all kind of part of the team anyway. And uh, But, um, you know, you know uh, the, the other thing that was always, you know, pretty awesome was every time they'd test fly an aeroplane, they'd come into a low pass, over the uh, over the hangars and do a break and that and yeah that was yeah that that kind of I guess instilled all the guys as well. Yeah, it was quite good. Yeah. I, I can tell you that at the peak of production, when we were building CT4s and Fletchers at the same time in the same hangar, yeah. two assembly lines, um, we at our peak of production, which only ran for about three months, but we were producing four. We were producing a CT4 each week and a Fletcher each fortnight. Wow. That's pretty good. That, that is pretty production. good, yeah. And, that, yeah. and we had 380-odd staff then. Yeah. Wow. Now, back in the... Um, uh, after the merger with Air Parts and when we became uh, NZAIL, we didn't have enough space. We had that new hangar put up and, and everything, but there still wasn't enough space. We, uh, so we still had the air parts, which, which was called Plant 2. But we had a Plant 3, which was further down. That was in where Robertson Air Services used to be. Yeah. And, then, and we had a Plant 4 in Riverley Road. Riverley Road, that was basically We had about five or yeah. six different okay. satellite yeah. plants okay. where, where we had to store all these parts. All these parts that were being manufactured, where do you put them? Shit. To hire a shed, and and we actually had a van at one stage. It, it, it operated. Used to do the the production control and the stores people, and they they used to go from plant to plant with their paperwork and gathering bits and depositing bits. It was like a little right. shuttle right. shuttle van. Um, yeah, it was pretty uh, pretty heady in those days. So. Yeah, very good. And uh, the, the memorable trips I can remember, one was actually with, um, there was an air show, it was the Trans-Tasman crossing of USU mm -hmm. from Christchurch to, uh, or Wigram to Australia and back again. Yeah. And I took uh, DGY down, um, we had that on display there, and the, the trip back, the weather was atrocious, and... Uh, Cliff Tate was leading, leading the formation. Um, I was hanging off the wing in the CD4 air trainer. We had Keith Billington and the Grumman Tiger, and I think John Garnett was with him. And uh, Peter Sylvia was in the proto BDS, um, the original 300 uh, Fletcher. Yeah? And we were all together. And the weather was bad, and we all went up to. And you were following Cliff Tate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the he, he was in the Fletcher. Yeah, he, he was in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, USU, yeah, that's right. And this is on the way back. And we stopped off at um, Blenheim to refuel. And then, you know, we thought, yeah, just for a with Cl Cliff on the way back. And he said, yeah, I'll lead. And he went up to the Brothers NDB and then tracked from the Brothers direct to Whanganui. Well, there's a lot of water out there. And the weather was really grotty. We couldn't see land. And we actually, uh, at times, thought Clifford decided to go back to Australia because he had all the big fury tanks. Yeah. <laughs> were you but, talking but, to each other? Uh, yeah, we, we were. But, um, you know, as I said, you know, we were... Felt a bit unnerved. Well, we, were, we were not that high because um, the weather was really, really grotty. And uh, it was a real relief when we all saw... Because uh, I, I felt sorry for, for Peter Sylvia, but um, he managed to keep up in the 300 Fletcher. So... Uh, but, um, yeah, it was a relief when the, uh, the coast of Whanganui came up and we thought, oh, I think we haven't gone to Australia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. It's, uh, no it's great to record a bit of history of uh, yeah. our own industry. Yeah, no problem. No.
That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.